Good people and fellow students, welcome to another episode of All That Yaz. Today we have a special episode for you because this is All That Yaz's first transatlantic recording and we're debuting with the doozy. Our guest is a storyteller whose versatility cuts across multiple mediums and industries. A master in the form of creative writing, he first came to prominence as an author of multiple best-selling books, one of which he adapted as a screenwriter and made his directorial debut into the film industry with, I'm talking about the Jason Bateman-led dramedy, this is where I leave you. Some say that Penn is mightier than the sword, but his television work says that you can have the best of both worlds, as he stands as the creator of not one, but two action-packed series. The first being Banshee, and the second being the contemporary masterclass of martial arts that has brought us here today with Warrior currently available on Showmax. I'm talking about Jonathan Tropper. How are you doing, sir? Good. That was a hell of an intro. <laughs> <laughs> um, were there were there any lies in it? Uh, well, just I didn't direct. This is where I leave you. I wrote it, but Sean Levy directed it. It was your I, it was your screenwriting debut. Yes, it was my screenwriting debut. I'm very curious. Since writing is what you studied, where did your relationship with fictional writing begin? What was the source? I just always loved reading. I was a big reader as a kid, and I was also a huge movie fan. I think I always dreamed of doing it, but didn't know the way to get there. I didn't know the route to it. I didn't grow up in a place where I knew any screenwriters or any novelists. It wasn't in the ether where I lived, but I slowly started to discover that the other things I was interested in, I wasn't terribly good at. And so um, it kind of became a necessity. So I started out writing really for my own enjoyment. And ultimately, in my 20s, reading books and thinking, you know, I think I could do what this guy's doing. I think I can do what she's doing and let me give it a whirl. And I started trying to write a novel. And uh, my second attempt, uh, I managed to get myself an agent and uh, get published. And then, you know, that led me into, you know, 10 years of writing books. I've written six novels. And because Hollywood started optioning my books for, as potential movies, I became interested in screenwriting. Each step led to another step and another discovery. And because I was already known as a novelist, it was much easier for me to break into screenwriting because people knew who I was. So um, I'm very curious because also the range with which you write in terms of the stories are actually quite diverse. What were some of the seminal works that you kind of remember actually pulling you to say that you wanted to be a writer? The book that I remember, I mean, growing up, I read a ton of Stephen King and uh, Kurt Vonnegut Jr. And those two do something really interesting, which is they're master writers. They're, they're obviously both masters of the craft, but when you read their writing, it feels very conversational, which creates the mistaken impression that it's easy. They make it sound easy. Of course, it's not easy, but I was enthralled by their storytelling, but the conversational nature of it made me think, hey, I might be able to do this too. I was wrong, that was the wrong thing to think, but somehow it set me on that path anyway. So the first few things I tried to write were definitely horror stories and science fiction stories and, and things much more in line with Stephen King and Kurt Vonnegut. And th those were the two writers I aspired to most back in high school. And then when I was in college, I read the novel Bright Lights, Big City by Jay McInerney. And that just like a light bulb went off in my head. And I was like, oh yeah, I shouldn't necessarily be writing horror and science fiction. I should be writing about the world I know and just trying to tell the truth. And that's sort of, I think the fact that I ultimately wrote my first novel came out of just my love for Jay McInerney and Bright Lights, Big City. So that was sort of the influences that started me on the path of, of fiction writing. 
That is actually a really good segue into what was going to be my next question. Writers tend to pull a lot from our own lives, even when we're not necessarily writing biographical work, because um, I think your first book follows a group of friends 10 years after they graduated from NYU, which is where you also studied. With that type of approach that you've now spoken about, which is what sent the light bulb. When it comes to something like Warrior, besides having done martial arts growing up, because I think I, um, I read or heard about that somewhere, and I think that very heavily informs the way you depict violence, because the violence in Warrior is very graphic and it's very real. Like I, re- I remember the first time watching it, it, it was guttural, and at times I couldn't watch. I, I couldn't. I, I was actually like looking away from the screen because the violence actually felt like violence, and also you could feel the hurt that the characters were going through within fighting. But um, outside of the actual your martial arts history, there are other things which kind of you pulled from yourself into putting into this world that is the warrior. Yeah, race. I mean, it, it's important to note that while I was a martial arts student for many years, um, I was also separately a fan of martial arts cinema for many years. And I grew up really in, in what became the golden age of action movies. So Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris, and then out came Jean-Claude Van Damme and Steven Seagal and, and you know, people who kept kind of putting new, uh, new spins on what the martial arts movie was. Um, but as a kid, Bruce Lee, Chuck Norris, and then Jean-Claude Van Damme, Steven Seagal, a lot of the lesser known people like, you know, 10 million Dolph Lundgren movies that no one's ever heard of. And in addition, I was the right age when, you know, Die Hard came out and the, and Rambo, First Blood Part Two came out and, and Commando with Schwarzenegger. And these were all movies that changed the action industry. And because I was such a fan of that, I developed an innate kind of almost encyclopedic knowledge of how those movies were made, what kind of action there was. So when it came to making my own martial arts show, um, the thing that was really important to me was obviously we wanted to really stick to the influence of Bruce Lee because this came from a Bruce Lee treatment. The thing that Bruce Lee did so well was convey the beauty of it without sacrificing the impact of it. Because for instance, you know, there's another set of, of martial arts films, and the best example I could give you is Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which is a beautiful, beautiful movie, but you don't ever feel the martial arts are dangerous because it's all like a ballet, right? It's people dancing on treetops with swords and flying yeah. on wires to fight each other. And even though it's beautiful and well done, it doesn't give the feeling of a street fight. It doesn't give the feeling like this stuff really hurts. Yes. And I wanted to make a show which was a more modern actualization of what, what Bruce Lee was doing in the late 60s, early 70s, which is this stuff hurts and it has to have impact. And so you don't want someone who gets kicked in the head 10 times and is still standing there without a bruise ready for his 11th kick. You know, that's not, that's not what we wanted. We wanted, we wanted to convey the beauty of Gung Fu, but really make you feel the pain of a street fight. And so that was the mandate I gave to our fight coordinator. And that was the the mandate I gave to the writers. And that's sort of what we came out with. And, you know, uh, the greatest influence for us in the last 20 years are the two Raid movies, which I think are like the greatest martial arts films of the last 20 years, the Raid Redemption and the second Raid. I mean, they're just the martial arts. And that is exactly what we're going for on TV. You guys seem to have wandered off Longzi territory. Walk away. Well, you escalated that pretty fast. Usually there's a little more repartee. You know there's a door right there. <sighs> Shut up and help me. These are tough times. We're losing money and we're losing guys. 
Your sister is building an army. Now is the time to adapt or die. She ordered my death. Family can be complicated. You and my brother would get on like a house on fire because he's an action movie geek. Raid, he loves Raid, Ong Bak, a lot of like those types of action films. Yeah, the first Ong Bak was great. It really was. Uh, in our second season, we have a little tribute to Ong Bak in one of the episodes, but yeah. But now I'm very interested in the actual relationship between writing action and developing action. What is the actual process in terms of how it is that they actually like come to be? Is it something which... Because you talked about having a, a relationship with the fight coordinators. It's something which you say, this is what we want to do. What does that actual side of things look like on a technical perspective? So, you know, and, and other people might do this differently, but when I write fights, I write them with incredible detail. Every punch and kick, every movement. I write them and I encourage the writers on the show to do that as well. Now, that doesn't mean that's what's going to show up on screen. What yeah. that does is that is the best way for me to tell the story of the fight. So I will literally script every punch and kick, every spin, every turn of the fight, who's winning, who's losing. And then what will happen is Brett Chan, our stunt coordinator, and his team will read that and they will understand what I'm going for. And then they will make it a lot better. So, <laughs> you know, I don't I don't have Brett's expertise in martial arts or in making fight sequences. What I do is I write the best story of a fight that I can. And he understands when I say, and then uh, Assam hits him with two spinning kicks and drops down to his knees and you know, that he doesn't have to follow that. All he needs to do is understand the story I'm telling. And then he can create his own fight based on that, which will always be 10 times better than what I've written on the page. Um, and, and he and I, you know, we've been working together for a number of years already. So I have tremendous trust that he will hit all the story points and character points I put in the fight. And he also knows like from, from years of doing it with me, when there's something I've written that I probably do want to see versus most of it, which is just for him to reinterpret as much as he wants. So one of my favorite things, one of my personal favorite things about Warrior is kind of reading the credits because they're in front of the screen and behind the screen, a lot of South African names in it. And what I wanted to understand is from your perspective, what made the choice for you to want to shoot the show in South Africa and what the logistics of actually choosing where it is you, where you place a show, not in terms of the actual fictional world, but shooting a show actually, what are the thought patterns that go into choosing the location where you actually shoot things? So when we were, when we were building the show at the very beginning of the show, what was important was um, we needed to build a Chinatown set. We needed to build a very large backlot that would serve as our Chinatown. Um, economically, that couldn't be done in the United States at our budget. Um, the show was given a certain budget because we were at Cinemax, which at the time, you know, Cinemax was a division of HBO. They did not have a lot of money for shows. Yeah. So I couldn't build that backlot in the United States or Canada because I simply would spend the entire budget of the show just building that. So I had to go to places where the cost of construction was much cheaper. Once that was the case, then it became a game of what can sort of, you know, from a climate perspective, from a sunlight perspective, what can look like San Francisco? We weren't going to go to like Budapest or Bucharest because those places just wouldn't look right. Yeah. Um, so there's really a handful of places that have a good rebate and also have already done enough filming that there are experienced crews and skilled crews 
already in place because I couldn't fly skilled people to Cape Town from New York or LA. So when we went, we visited a number of places, but as soon as we got to Cape Town, we visited Cape Town Studios and the level of sophistication there, um, the the skill set of the crews, the size of the place, and then knowing that within Cape Town or, or in the environments right around Cape Town, we could find almost any kind of setting we needed, whether it was country or city, you know, or city hall or somebody's mansion, you know, a street, like whatever we needed to find, we felt very confident we could find in, in the city of Cape Town. And the stages and the uh, studio was just, you know, so big and so sophisticated. And we had the ability to build what's basically like five square blocks of Chinatown on the back lot there. So it became a real no brainer that that was where we had to shoot the show. Since, because now you've had three seasons, I'm sure you've not spent a great deal of time within Cape Town. Are there um, things about the city which for you on a personal level like stand out or what are some of the things which you kind of endeared yourself with within the Cape well, Town? Well, so to be clear, I, I wasn't really down there for season three that much because uh, season three, Evan, and, Evan Endicott and Josh Stoddard took over as the showrunners and I worked as a producer sort of more remotely. They were two guys who had been writers on the first two seasons of the show. And we got to season three because I was involved in a show on another network. I wasn't legally allowed to continue to run Warriors. So so they stepped in to run it. But in the so years that, I sorry, is sorry. that how is that how things work? Once you start once you get onto a different show as a showrunner, you have to step out. Well, if if it's at a different if it's at a different company. Yeah, every deal is different. And I had actually, when I made my deal, because I'm, I'm, I'm making television for Apple TV Plus now, when I made my deal there, I had carved out Warrior that if Warrior came back, I was allowed to continue to work on it. But in good faith, I couldn't be the showrunner because then I would disappear for almost a year uh, while I'm being paid by another network. So it, it, you know, you just can't do that. So I stayed very involved with the show, but Evan and Josh, who were with me from the beginning, they were ready to take over as the people on the ground running the show. So for season three, you know, I was in the writer's room and I was involved with scripts and I was involved with post-production, but the making of the show was really Evan and Josh. So, but in terms of Cape Town, all the time I was there, I ended up living at the, the V&A waterfront. Mm -hmm. um, which is obviously very tourist friendly, but I enjoyed like leaving there, going into town. I think some of, uh, we always were finding new restaurants and, and, you know, one of our cast members, Langley Kirkwood, who lives in, in Cape Town and who's a native, like, you know, knew a lot of places to take us. So, you know, I enjoyed kind of discovering, you know, Stellenbosch and, and the restaurants. I, I, there's a restaurant in town that we went to a bunch of times called the Duchess of Whiz Beach, which we all really liked. And there wasn't time for much because you're pretty much working around the clock. But, you know, the coastlines, doing the bike rides up the coastlines, you know, getting all the way up to, to boulders. And my apartment always had a great view of Table Mountain and watching the clouds sort of cover Table Mountain every day was always very exciting for me. And it's a place I definitely want to come back to. I would love to do another show there. I'd love to do a movie there and I'd love to just come visit it again because I we just had a great time there. But yeah, no, I I, I really loved it there. And, and and what was great for the show is that the the winter weather there really mimicked San Francisco's weather because it's never really warm in San Francisco and there's always mist and wind. And, you know, it really, we could really make uh, our, our back lot look like San Francisco, which was yeah. great. One of the jokes a lot of people tend to say about Cape Town is you can sometimes go through all four seasons in one day in terms of the <laughs> just feeling that. 
Um, but now I'm curious for you, now that you have taken this journey in moving between formats, has that affected your approach to story? Because um, no. I think for... Oh, you mean in terms of season three of Warrior? No, in terms of like generally for you as a writer, because I know writing for a book, writing fiction for a book is quite boundless because you can spend pages writing about a moment and building an inner life. Yeah. to be quite restrictive, but when you're writing for a form and even write, but that can be quite res- restrictive or also impractical when you're writing for a form script or even for television. So with you having moved through so many different formats, has your approach, what is your actual relationship and approach to story? Has it changed or is it now based upon... I, I think the approach is the same. It, it always comes down to character and motivation and dialogue. I'm a big, big believer in sharp dialogue. Each side of it brings you something. You know, when I came into screenwriting as a novelist, I was much more focused, I think, on character than people who have just been screenwriting their whole lives. Um, but one of the things that screenwriting gave me was an economy that I didn't have yet from writing books, which is okay, you've now conveyed that with eight lines. Can you convey it with four? And like, what is what is the absolute most efficient way to tell this story? Because that's what screenwriting is. Like, they, you know, the, the expression that they use for screenwriting is get in late and get out early. Yeah. And you will always find when you write a scene or when you write a, a sequence of scenes, after you've written the whole thing, you can go back and look at it and go, okay, I don't really need this part. And I've stayed too long here. And they've said way too many. They're, they're sort of saying the same thing over and over again here. And you know, in books, you can you can let yourself do that. But on screenplays where you know, every page counts and every line counts because how many pages you shoot a day affects your budget and affects your timing and affects what you can deliver, you learn to be incredibly efficient. And then when I go back to writing prose, sometimes that efficiency becomes really valuable too, because you start to write a different type of, of prose or a different type of dialogue that's more concise and more effective. And I, I think they really complement each other. But now with Warrior since we're coming to a close, specifically with season three, is there something that would, that you were most proud of um, in terms of accomplishing that people can, that you believe people can be or should be excited about, which differs from the first two seasons? Well, I think we came back, first of all, just the fact that we were able to come back, I think is such an incredible accomplishment that we could get the cast back, that the cast was willing to come back, that everybody was still in shape and ready to do it. I mean, that that's like a miracle. The yes. fact that we had to rebuild all our sets, like it looks the same, but we had to build all that from scratch. None of that was still, you know, none of that was there anymore. We had lost all our sets. We had lost all our costumes. We had to rebuild everything. And the fact that we were able to painstakingly rebuild everything to look exactly like what it had been when we shot the first two seasons, I think, speaks to the talent of our crew and our construction team and, and you know, everyone who was involved. At the same time, we came into season three feeling a real sense of urgency and pressure to make it worth the return. And I think there's a level of ambition to season three. Uh, that Josh and Evan have executed that that takes it beyond the first two seasons. I think you'll see it in the in the quality of the fights, in the quality of the action, in the storytelling, in the cinematography, in the way we've built the sets. Um, it just feels like a bigger, more impactful season because I think we felt coming back, we had to make sure that when the fans came back, that they weren't disappointed. So I think we've built the biggest and most impactful season yet. And I'm I'm actually really proud of it. I think there isn't a you know, 10 episodes, there isn't a bad one in there. They're all they're <laughs> all great. And it really builds, I think, to a an emotional P 
peak that we haven't yet experienced on this show. Well, I personally can't wait to to binge and fully get into it. I know by the time this episode comes out, all episodes should be out on Showmax. So if you're interested in what we've been talking about, you should go and check out Worry Yourself Too. I just want to say thank you so much for giving us your time because this is a podcast which really is about trying to give knowledge about craft whether it be from a writing perspective and entertainment perspective but for people who are really trying to understand how to maneuver and become a better writer or a better screenwriter what what would be one like parting gift that you give to those types of people on their journey to um, find I'll, I'll tell you what i've been saying since i was a novelist and i used to get asked that on book tour I don't think I'm personally the best writer out there, but I think the reason I've had a career while better writers than me haven't is because of perseverance. You have to have a certain amount of talent and a certain amount of ability, but you also have to have the willingness to go back to your scripts over and over again and make them better and edit them and revise them and revise them again and revise them again and get feedback and revise them again and never talk yourself into thinking this is done. Um, I think the people who make it, you know, in, in certainly in the entertainment business, but even in the novel writing business, are the people who who simply don't have a choice and won't stop fixing and trying to make something better until it's out in the world. Um, and I think that really makes the difference. I don't think it's it's you know, sure there are brilliant writers who make it, but I think there's a lot of brilliant writers who don't, and a lot of average or you know, to good writers who make it simply because they have the drive to continue to polish and edit and make their stuff better. And I think that's the difference between success and failure. Perseverance. And for my parting gift in terms of my thoughts on Warrior is my current favorite thing, and this is more so for the audience, is I love in terms of the introduction of characters and not just the introduction of characters, but in the world building, you find a way even from the first episode to make each of the characters incredibly gray and that we understand as as we and as we get introduced to them you can think about one thing but there's always that slight thing that already makes you really understand that these are fully realized people you already know that as the season builds and as the show builds that all of these are going to reveal themselves to be characters who are so rich in not just being a good or a bad person but in being a fully realized person that exists that you now get fully invested into this world not just as a fantasy but it becomes tasty in, in that type of way and you have a lot of um and i know you said you just you like dialogue but you can tell how much you love dialogue and how much you love like creating witty entrances and witty exits between the characters and that that for me is something I always just love kind of diving into. I mean, our big rule of thumb, I, I say this on all my shows, is the rule of thumb is nobody's innocent, um, but there are no good guys and bad guys. And, and every character on our show should be able to be the star of their own show. And that's how we approach it. And that was the episode of Jonathan Chopper. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of All That Yes, our first transatlantic episode. And yeah, as you can check it out from South Africa on Showmax. I also believe it's on Max. Is there other places that you like to plug people to watch Warrior? I honestly don't know. I know here it's on Max, and I know in South Africa it's on Showmax, and I think it's on Sky in UK, but I honestly have no idea. <laughs> I think Very that's hard to keep I think that's enough. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Nice to meet you, yes.